gang, welcome to Best Night Ever, and welcome to the third and final episode of the three-week celebration of the 4th of July. I'm your host, Ian Hollihan. With me, as always, is the tuxedo cat who knows where it's at, Reggie Miller. Uh, I hope you all really enjoyed last week's uh, somber episode from competitive eater Molly Schuyler. I hope you enjoyed the kind of disgusting episode from artist Luis Ramirez, and I hope you enjoy the story that you're about to hear. My conversation with this week's storyteller is a little long, so I'm not going to have a lot of my charming babble in the beginning of the episode, but I just want to give a shout out to my part-time producer, Seth Teal. We did record an intro with him as the co-host, but we just don't have the time. I'll try and put in a clip of him at the end, mainly because he really, really sounds like Brian Doyle Murray, uh, Bill Murray's brother. He was the, uh, the guy in Caddyshack uh, who ran the caddy. I mean, the shack. The people are the caddy. He ran the shack. It's a caddy shack. He's also the guy that punks Tony Phil talks to in Groundhog Day. Anyway, our storyteller today is a guy named Dylan Thuris. He is the co-founder of a website called Atlas Obscura. If you don't know what Atlas Obscura is, well, boy, howdy, are you in for a treat. This is going to be your new favorite website because it's incredible. Honestly, I've never met anyone who's gone there that doesn't love it. The way that I describe it, in a nutshell, like its main purpose is it's a travel guide for folks who are visiting New York City but don't want to go to Times Square. Uh, meaning they don't want to go to just the touristy spots that everyone else goes to. They want to find those hidden gems in cities uh, to really learn what makes the city special. Also, real quick, if any of you are listeners who, who want to visit New York City and want to go to Times Square, it's just an intersection. That's it. It's just an intersection. There's nothing there. There's a bubblegum shrimp and an M&M store, but that's it. There's no reason to go there. But, you know, you do you. But it doesn't just tell you, like, places to go uh, and look at stuff. It also tells you, like, cool restaurants and stores to go to that might be off the beaten path. And uh, there's a lot of really cool articles or stories about why these specific places are special and cool and unique. And it's not just for traveling, meaning if you live in a major city or even, like, a major suburb or a halfway suburb, if you don't live in, like, the sticks. Wait, that's not true. Because a lot of these Atlas Obscure places are in the sticks. Uh, uh, go to the website and put in your hometown because you might be surprised on what you find. It, it It's so so cool and i was mega excited to do this interview with dylan but before we get started you know the shtick if you're listening on uh, apple itunes apple podcasts uh stitcher uh or spotify go ahead and subscribe so we can uh, see every week if you have any thoughts or questions or concerns or comments about the show leave a review uh, um, if it's negative i ask you to leave the review in the voice of brian doyle murray if you don't know who brian doyle murray is just wait till the end of the episode and you'll hear my part-time producer seth teal talk and you'll just know that that's what brian doyle murray sounds like okay deal awesome now dylan i'm gonna skip the formalities because i have a really important question i have to ask you Every episode gets one F word. You could be as salty as you want, uh, but you only get one uh, big daddy. Okay. So this is a best night ever. First, uh, if it's if it's okay with you, I, I would love your permission to have this episode's F word. Yeah, sure. I fucking love your website. Oh, thanks. <laughs> that was that was a poor you. You needed to save that for something better than that. But thank you. That's very nice to hear. Uh, that's really nice. I discovered the website a few years ago, obviously, uh, well, planning to travel. And, you know, as uh, as positive as this show is, like, obviously, best done ever. It's, yeah. It's, I, I want people telling stories about having a great time uh, and people listening to have a great time. Uh, yeah. So super positivity, yada, yada, yada. Uh, in, my, in my real life, I'm kind of a curmudgeon. And a few years ago, my girlfriend uh, found these amazing flights to Italy. So she said, let's go to Italy. And... Uh, and you were like, no, Italy sounds terrible. I mean, 
mean, I wasn't against it, but my first thought was like, oh, great, it's just going to be a huge crowd of boners and boneheads uh, taking pictures and other folks trying to sell me stuff. Yes. And like with the sightseeing, it's like you're looking at the stuff that everyone else is looking at, a, a, a crowd of a million people, you know. But then I found this awesome website, Atlas Obscura, that shows you all these like amazing hidden gems that the masses don't really know about or go to. So now whenever we travel, international or domestic, the first thing I do is go to Atlas Obscura. Like a couple of years after Italy, we went to uh, Barcelona, Spain. Maybe you've heard of it. And we did one of those walking tours, those free walking tours around the city, which are great. And about halfway through the tour, I asked the guide, uh, are we going to go to uh, the baby hole? Yes. Did you go? Did you get to go to the baby hole? Well, the guide had no idea what I was talking about, so I had to explain to him. It's like it's a it's an old uh, convent uh, with a, a hole in the wall with like a, a lazy sluice, and you uh, you push the baby in. And you just slide the baby in. You whoop down a little slide. There's a there's the, they're 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 like they were weirdly common for a while. You just put the baby in a little chute, and the nuns like found the baby the next day, and that was it. You know, and then they I, whatever they like gave it to rich families they did all kinds of things with the babies but there's literally countless things they could have done with the baby and what's really cool is that guide ended up adding that baby hole to his his tour and not even knowing that it was um atlas obscura oh wow oh that's great now the reason i bring up any of this is like i look at this website as kind of like a cure for people like me uh folks who when they travel they Mm. just want to go to the niche places that no one really knows about where we can really enjoy ourselves and 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 soak in what's happening or in other words i look at it as as a, a guide to keep people away from me you know uh, kind of on the negative side but then i came across something that uh you had written uh it was i'm paraphrasing but it's it's uh, uh the website reminds us that there's still wonder left yeah, in the world that and i like that a lot good and i that is what i want uh, that is you, the the experience you're describing is is truly precisely uh what I want to happen to people when they come across Atlas Obscura. I want it to feel like, oh, wait, actually, all of this is kind of crazy. And like, how did I not know about this? And like sort of that feeling of being like pulled into the rabbit hole, just like you know, suddenly like, oh, wait. I wait. So that that sense of the world expanding a little bit is um, is is exactly it. Yeah. I'm so happy you had that experience. I'm so um, what a. How was Italy? Oh, it was great. Good. Yeah. Are you ever worried in a way that uh, Atlas Obscura will get so big that uh, all these niche places will stop being so hidden? Meaning like people do, like what I'm doing, like there'll be more and more Ian's doing these Atlas, Atlas Obscura tours and they become less special. Like when I was in Italy, we we found this amazing restaurant that was off the beaten path that was in someone's backyard. And I don't really want to tell anyone about that because that's mine, you know? I, I understand the concern. And it's funny. Uh... They have two answers. For a long time, it just like that wasn't really an issue. Actually, we were like too small and too much for weirdos, and like, and you know, the other thing was like, I, I see so many places disappear, and I, I this I've like, I have this comes up a lot, right? Like, are you gonna are these places gonna get ruined? And it was a real concern when we started the site. But what we what I've seen overdoing the work at Atlas Obscura is like. 99 out of 100 times places disappear from under love not not from over love and that you know this Kovacs planetarium this guy built his own mechanical planetarium in kind of the middle of nowhere Wisconsin and you would step into this sphere and he would like start it up and you would go on this tiny planetarium journey and it's like an incredible work of of genius 
Uh, and it's closed because he can't make it work. He can't get enough people to it. And it's like that's it's like very heartbreaking. Uh, and and that's true for all kinds of, of places. Uh, and so I think what I'm hoping we're able to do is sort of suck people away from the giant rivers of tourists, which are kind of hitting the top 10 places in kind of a, a relatively small number of cities and countries and and bring them like t- to many different locations uh, all over the world. Also, like in their own in their own backyard, like in, you know, like so much of what Out Subscura is about is like a framework for looking, not a, not like a bucket list, you know? And so, um, but I think as we get bigger, I think we're, we're looking more carefully now to see there are going to be times when we might take something off the site because we feel like, Meh, it's not really like especially obscure anymore. And it doesn't need our help. Like it doesn't need, it doesn't need that extra love. Like it's doing just fine. And in fact, probably maybe a few less people should go. So like we're now that we've sort of, there have been a couple instances where we've said, okay, maybe we're going to pull this back. So Dylan, you, you still believe in magic. I do. I'm, I'm super into cryptozoology. Uh, we actually had a cryptozoologist on the show not too long ago. Lyle oh, we, this podcast just changed subject matters in a major way. We took a, <laughs> so magic exists. There's still secrets in the world, even in New York city. Dylan, when, where, and how are we going to discover Bigfoot? And do you think it will be a discovery or more of like uh, uh, the species revealing themselves finally saying, we've been here the whole time? Here's what I think is going to happen. Like cryptids are a weird part of the like kind of world of, in the world of believers, like cryptid believers are the kind of the silliest and the most uh, like easily mocked in a way. Um, but But like we should keep in mind that we discovered a sort of offshoot species of human beings that are tiny, lived on an island like a few years ago. Like this is this is bananas, and everyone's like, "Wow, well, 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 yeah, it's science." Like, okay, all right, guys. I don't think there is. You're getting my real your my real view on Bigfoot. I do not think that there is like a lost primate family that we will discover necessarily. I think that is actually unlikely. What I think is more likely, especially in certain areas and parts of Asia, is that I think we don't actually know how long we lived alongside other human offshoots, uh, like like Neanderthals and other basically speciation of... Like, and I think it could actually have gone for much, much longer, long enough to at least be in the historical and cultural memory of people who, you know, reported sort of stories of these. So I, I'm not I'm not arguing that necessarily we're going to find clear evidence of this, but I just don't think it's as ridiculous that when people talk about sort of these like hair covered like mountain people, I don't think it's I don't think it's totally bananas that there's like some like validity to this. I don't think it's just like myth and, and insanity. I think like who knows? Who knows? And wouldn't it be, God, what would happen? You know what's a bummer is if like we discovered Bigfoot tomorrow, like if all the headlines were like Bigfoot discovered, it would be over so quick. In like six months, everyone would be like, yeah, I don't know. Who cares? People would still be kind of dicks. <laughs> even if we discovered Bigfoot. We can't, we can't even keep the sense of wonder in our minds about the things that we know to be true in the world. So it's no surprise people are so cynical about Bigfoot. Uh, you ever been to the Cryptozoology Museum in Maine? Yeah, man. Is that, who's your, what's your favorite cryptid? We'll get back to the show. Flatwoods Monster. Didn't even have to think about it. Uh-huh. But anyways, I know that you have an event that you're, uh, you have to get to. That there's a big celebration going on. So, uh, you know, I do appreciate you taking the time. I wanted you to be on the show not just because I'm a big fan of the site. I wanted you to come on the show because I had my best night ever in Spain because of the work you've done with 
Atlas Obscura. I'm confident that there are tons of other people who have had their best night ever's because of your website. And I think that's really cool. Wait, now I want to hear your best night ever. So not my not my best night, period. My best night ever in Spain. Oh, okay. Oh, 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 you're better in Spain. You didn't have your best night ever in I get it. I get it. The qualifier is somewhere else where I, okay. Sure. That's good. That's great. All right, Dylan, we've covered baby holes and Bigfoot. Now we have to hear your best night ever. Uh, okay. My best night ever. I had a lot of trouble choosing a story. <laughs> I, well, because some of the stories I was considering, I was like, well, I, that was a really crazy experience. But it was upsetting at the time. So I don't know if I didn't, you know what I mean? Like, I was another, I got shipwrecked in the Arctic, like not that long ago, like two years ago, with like a 90-year-old guy named John. He was he was great. Just the two of you? No, there were other people on the ship. There was a, there was a big ship. It was like 130 people on the ship. But then him and I were like, are, we like became a little team. It ended with uh, with a lot of drinking uh, and like singing of sea shanties. And they wouldn't they wouldn't let us drink on the ship after we shipwrecked because they were afraid that if we needed to evacuate, we'd all be drunk, which was a hundred percent true. They were really wise to 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 shut the bar down. But then we got rescued. Don't drink because you never know when you're going to need to evacuate. You will be angry about this though because what all you want to do is like have a, some drinks. Yeah, and then at eight a.m. the next morning. The other ship will arrive to rescue you, and you will be moved onto that ship, and then you will start drinking promptly and singing sea shanties with, like, a bunch of 70-year-olds, which is what basically happened. And and my 90-year-old cabin mate, uh, John from Thunder Bay, was not my best night ever. My best night ever... It's there's different parts that sort of make this up, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you a story from my childhood when I was a teen living in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, but it has over the years kind of crystallized into this slightly mythical memory. I was I born in Minnesota, I moved around, but I got I went I ended up back in Minneapolis when I was like ten. So growing up, as I became a a young teen, at first I got into drinking and drugs, and then everything kind of went sideways really fast. I ended up with like a bunch of friends in in like NA and AA by the time I was like fourteen. So then when they kind of like couldn't drink and do drugs anymore, I was like, okay, no, me neither. Like I, I couldn't hang out with them if I was still using, so I just stopped and I became like a straight edger because that was like a cool way to be be a, a nerd who didn't drink or do drugs, you know? It was like the tough, the tough sober kid. You know, so this meant that like for most of my teenage years in Minneapolis, that wasn't my mode for getting in trouble, but I still wanted to get in trouble. So I got really into um, graffiti. I loved drawing, still do, and, and, I, and I also like loved that it meant you had to go and explore around the city. So there was this one building that I had a really special relationship with, a place called Gold Metal Flower. It was this kind of gathering place for graffiti kids. Um, so people would go in there and you just could paint. You could spend all day on a big, crazy piece. You know, you'd come back in a week and there'd be all new stuff. And like you knew that people saw your thing. And it was just this kind of magical, like lawless space, but like not really scary. Like it wasn't safe per se, but you was, but it wasn't sketchy in the way that like you thought something, someone was going to get you because it actually had this real alive sense. So anyway, this huge abandoned flour mill that once uh, had produced enough flour to make 12 million loaves of bread in a day. That's how much flour it made. So it was this crate and it was a giant structure, huge silos. Most of, so this, the structure is hard to overestimate its size. It is like a 
city block sized building and it's just massive towering concrete structure so you've seen sort of like grain silos uh individually these were like this is like a series of like eight silos all kind of packed together and you've, you've probably seen this in the midwest but like a wall of kind of cylinders like concrete cylinders that's like one side of the building and the other side of the building actually had had multiple disasters so the 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 original flour mill blew up in one of the worst dust explosions of all time if you look up uh, uh dust explosions on wikipedia it's a it's a good use of time I'm, I'm so serious. And so anyway, this whole building had exploded and then they rebuilt rebuilt it as this even more enormous structure, which is what we were in. But it had a, a huge fire in the 90s, like a really big fire and a whole piece of the facade had like fallen away. It was pretty sketchy. This like structurally it was sound because it was all like made of like poured concrete or whatever. So it was like, but there were all, there were these giant holes that went through every single floor for nine floors. So it was like, and they were big and they were just in the middle of the ground because they used to be like where the flower went. Like I had a whole series of stuff in there. And then there were parts of the building I never even got to because it was really walled off. There was like a whole series of subterranean tunnels that would flood because it was right by the river uh, that you could get into and like scary metal walkways between the buildings that were like rusting and falling apart. But the way into the building, it actually shifted over time. It used to be that you could basically walk in the front and they really, really boarded that up. So then what you had to do later was you had to go and jump and get to, well, so you sort of climbed and then like got to uh, a fire escape that you would hang on to so that you were, could overwhelm the counterweight. And you could bring that down and then everyone could go up the fire escape and then throw in and you'd get in that way. And then at the top of the building, you know, there was basically like a rooftop and a water tower up there and you could climb the additional bit up to the top of the water tower. And you could just see the whole city. You can see all of downtown Minneapolis. You can see the river. You can see everything from up there. So on July 4th, they launch all the fireworks from that river, from like the Stone Arch Bridge. Sort of occurs to me like, okay, like that's the place to watch the fireworks. Like if I could sneak into this building and get to the rooftop, which I knew was going to be a little bit of a tall order, like it was going to be this amazing show. So uh, along with uh, two other friends, Alex and Carrie, I'd known Alex and Carrie since we were all like young teens, since since you were old enough to get into like real trouble. They were like my graffiti like associates. So we had all already broken the law together. So we, we had passed that threshold. So they were up for it. Do you still keep in touch with those guys? I haven't seen them in a few. We all had kids. Um, uh, Alex is in Minneapolis. I think Carrie's in New Jersey, but he might be back in Minneapolis now. I don't know. It's been a few years, actually. We we run into each other once every like couple of years now, um, but it's been a while since I've seen them. It'd be fun to get together with them and like recreate some some version of that night. Well, Dylan, I have a surprise for you, Alex. What Carrie, the come on down. Hell? We went down to Gold Medal Flower and there was all of this security. There were all these police everywhere because it's a huge crowd comes out to see the fireworks down here. And this is like right next to the like official area. I mean, I think we were all a little daunted, actually, when we saw the cops because there were just a lot of them. So it actually took some real work. We had to like hide and like wait for cops and then like go running when no cops were there and get into the building. And it felt super like, you know, like like real video game style, like sneaking around. And we make our way up to the building to the top of Gold Medal Flower and there are like 30 other people up there because everyone has had the same idea. All of the people who kind of knew the like 
ins and outs of the gnarlier areas of Minneapolis, like the industrial areas, I had the same thought because it was a great, it's a, you know, it's a, the, really the best place you could possibly watch fireworks. So people were hanging out. It was cool too because it wasn't all kids. It was like there was like a professor there and like people from like different backgrounds had all managed to make their way to this rooftop. And so we all hung out, got dark, fireworks started going off. It was this like, you're at eye level with the fireworks because you're like at the top of this huge building. So we watched this incredible fireworks show. After that, we were like pretty pumped up. We were super psyched. We were like, that was amazing. And we really had like an appetite for more trouble. So uh, we got on our bikes and we rode like way across town to St. Louis, neighborhood outside of Minneapolis. Uh, We broke into the water park. There was a cool little water park. It wasn't a big park. It was like basically a pool with a few slides. But like it had some like, you know, twirly slide stuff going on and we were able there's a place where you could basically squeeze in through some bars that someone had clearly come and bent someone else had done the work for us already we squeezed in through the bars we went and we swam around in the pool and then we realized very quickly that if you try and use the slides at a water park when it's not running your body just like skids to a hard painful stop right away because there's no water running down the slides like normally there's like a stream of water running down a water slide and they turn that off like it's just dry your body just like lodges itself on the side so we then realized we could cart water up pour it down the slides and like kind of get them to work and so we spent a bunch of time swimming around and going down the slides and just being goofs and then we like hung around we biked around a little bit more i think we actually went and did some graffiti like down some alleyway somewhere and, and then we went home so looking back uh on that night because uh, you're you're a father of two young kids uh, i don't have any kids myself that i know of hey you i've got a surprise for you here <laughs> Yeah, looking back as a dad, would you want your kids to be, you know, fine young criminals? I feel like I, I, I mean, I, I feel like having the the not self knowledge to know how to make good trouble and not like, oh no, like we're now everyone's in the hospital trouble. Do you know what I mean? Like, like there's such a thing as really good trouble. Like a lot of people, a lot of people's best experiences are basically really good trouble. Like things got crazy. We did some like kind of like reckless things and what a what an amazing time that was and so i feel like having that distinction and actually having parents who kind of recognize that and kind of like having the relationship where there's like some trust you know what i mean like my parents knew what i was up to they knew i was sneaking out to do graffiti and they were like don't get their big thing was don't get caught because <laughs> they just didn't want to deal with that kind of that kind of headache which fair enough um but like i think it's i think I think it's very important that kids get into good hijinks and not like fentanyl hijinks. Um, so, and it just, it, 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 I don't, it's hard to say, like, I don't know. It's, it's, for me, it's this memory of, of being a teenager and almost like a certain kind of like wild innocence. It was so sweet. All we did was watch fireworks and like go swimming and, you know, and it just so happened that it involved decent amount of trespassing. But there's, there's something so like, it just was like a perfect summer adventure for like a 16 year old kid. in So it was very wholesome in a way. 
That was the best night ever. That was a pretty awesome story, Dylan, and thank you so much. Folks, if you haven't gone there yet, go ahead and go to www.atlasobscura.com. It's A-T-L-A-S-O-B-S-C-U-R-A dot C-O-M. You're going to love it. You're going to have a blast. It's an amazing website. But one thing I forgot to mention in the beginning of the episode or in our entire conversation is Dylan has a few books. Uh, uh, the most popular one is Atlas Obscure, an explorer's guide to the world of hidden wonder. Intriguing, though. Uh, they also have a children's book called Atlas Obscura, Explorer's Guide, the world's most adventurous kid. They also have an Atlas Obscura journal, which uh, really is just a notebook, but it says Atlas Obscura on it. And of course, most importantly, they have t-shirts, because you can never have enough t-shirts. You can get all this stuff at atlasobscura.com. Our website has no merch, uh, because I can't fathom what uh, I would possibly make that y'all would want to buy. But we have original artwork that pertains to each episode, including this one. You can uh, check it out at bestnightoverpodcast.com. We also have a pretty cool Instagram. Uh, You can check that out at bestnightoverpodcast. We also have a Twitter. That gets updated once in a while. It's at BNE Podcast. We also have an email address, which is a very effective way of communication. It's bestnightoverpodcast at gmail.com. Background music for today's episode is provided by Mount Feral. They have a new single out called The 100 Only Ones. You can get it on Spotify and iTunes and all those other places. Or you can just go to their website. It's mountferrell.com. It's M-T-F-E-R-A-L.com. You could listen to the single there and keep your eyes peeled for their album that's coming out pretty soon. Also, if you have nothing going on the weekend of August 16th, check them out at Pianos in New York City. It's only 10 bucks. You might as well go. I know I spend 10 bucks on bullshit all the time. The theme song was provided by Ghost of Lester Bangs, as it always is. This episode was produced by me with the help of Seth Teal and Andy Wilson. Here is a clip right quick of Seth Teal so you guys can hear how much he sounds like Brian Dole Murray. Yeah, the album is once you, uh, you're in and out in 20 minutes. Once you've seen it, it's time to move on. He kind of sounds like him, right? Lastly, uh, I really hope the main takeaway you guys get from this episode is break all the rules. Unless... You're in a shipwreck. If you're in a shipwreck, follow the rules. Don't drink, stay focused, stay alert. And then when the rescue boat comes, then you know you can go back to breaking the rules. Oh, and uh, keep your eyes peeled for baby holes. Whether you're listening to this in the daytime, afternoon, or night, I hope it's the best ever. See you next time. <laughs>